All right. Well, good afternoon or morning. I don't know where everybody's at, but uh, hope you're having a good first part of your day. Uh, welcome back. We haven't done a webinar in a couple of weeks now because of uh, just sort of Easter break and then preparing for the summit, which went really, went really well. So thank you for attending, whether virtually or in person. Additionally, one of the topics that we talked about heavily, I got a lot of uh, a lot of Q and A, a lot of concern, a lot of uh, interest was on Black maternal health, and so we're going to continue that conversation today. It's going to be led by Kristen Hobbs, who works with us at NMQF and SHC. So, Kristen, I'll turn it over to you. Awesome! Thank you so much, Brandon, and thank you all for joining us today for this very important conversation. I just want to level set us in our webinar series again for those of you who may not have been able to join us last month and then I will turn it over to our moderator Brittany Nelson and our esteemed panelists. So we are really building out this webinar series for the entire year talking about the intersections of total health and vaccinations really focusing on how we can build sustainability in communities. Um, communities have told us throughout the COVID-19 pandemic that uh, COVID-19 vaccines and even flu vaccinations are not the only things that they're plagued with. Obviously, we knew that. Obviously, the pandemic was of an urgent matter, but we really want to be able to maintain the trust that we've built through in, uh, improving and bolstering vaccinations, especially in historically excluded communities. And so we built this webinar series around uh, different topics related to total health and how vaccinations can be um, a way to mitigate complications, morbidity and mortality for everyone. So we have partnered with the Association of Immunization Managers and their iReach team to really build out a robust webinar series for the year. We will also be developing a microsite um, that we have a first draft for to show you today. And Brittany will go through that later. We'll have an interactive portion that really speaks to um, how you can give us real-time feedback on what it is that we need to be disseminating through these microsites. Um, the microsites will also seek to inform other communication resources, so flyers and infographics, social media content, et cetera. Um, we will use these microsites as well to train our drive quality improvement clinical teams, our Faith Health Alliance partners, our hair wellness warriors, barbers and stylists, and our community pharmacist ambassadors. And so we really, really want to have input from you guys, and we really um, seek to have transparent feedback. So anything that you can provide us will help inform our next steps and how we really, um, really help the community with this education. So last month was chronic kidney disease. We're talking about Black maternal health this month. Um, we will be talking about cancer, healthy nutrition, mental health, physical activity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, lung diseases, aging, and HIV and AIDS. And so this is a quick overview of last month's uh, uh, microsite that we put together. It has the four sections that you see here. Um, and again, we'll go through the details of the Black Maternal Health microsite as well. And if you have anything that you didn't see discussed today, um, any additional health topics that you want us to cover, anything missing from our microsite that you didn't get to put in the chat during the interactive session, any recommendations, please put it in the chat box or let us know at our email, shc at nmqf.org. And with that, I am going to turn it over to Brittany. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us. My name is Brittany Nelson. I'm a program and policy coordinator for the Louisiana Cancer Prevention and Control Program housed at LSU's Health Sciences Center in New Orleans. Um, I have been a public health professional for about 10 years now, and I recently obtained my Master of Public Health with a concentration in behavioral science and health education. Um, thank you all for being here, and I'm very excited about this conversation today. Just some housekeeping rules. Um, all attendees are in listen-only mode and videos are turned off. We ask that you please place all your questions in the Q&A box um, to streamline the Q&A portion for our moderators. We do, however, welcome respectful conversation in the chat. And this webinar will be interactive. 
So uh, we'll be gathering real-time feedback and assessment on educational materials related to the topic. Um, so please feel free to provide uh, transparent feedback to us um, as we work to develop culturally responsive materials. So our agenda today, um, we will talk about NMQF, uh, HSC, um, maternal health inequities, infectious disease implications. We'll go over some vaccine data, uh, ACIP recommendations. We'll get a uh, perspective from doula and patients. And then we will, like Kristen said, go over our microsite. The National Minority Quality Health Forum was founded in 1998 by Dr. Gary Puckren to use evidence-based materials for advancing health equity and reducing uh, patient risk. The Sustainable for Healthcare Quality and Equity uh, uses data to build sustainable health and communities of, of color in every zip code. Uh, SHC does this through quality improvement, clinical education, and public health interventions all via a lens of equity. And then we have, uh, of course, Kristen and um, Chinny, and uh, I don't think Laura Lee is here today. All right. So I'd like to introduce Dr. Carla Rogers Henry to go over, um, it for, to be a part of our panelists. Um. Sorry, let me unmute myself. Um, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to speak about uh, Black maternal health. Um, I myself, I'm um, half uh, Lakota Sioux Native American and half African American. Um, been living in Harlem specifically for about uh, 26 years. I uh, came to New York um, via Dartmouth College, which is where I did my undergrad, uh, did a master's program at Columbia, uh, took a couple of years off to become an embryologist in an infertility clinic, um, and ended up at Sinai um, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, uh, decided to go to med school, uh, decided to stay at Sinai, and uh, do my residency in OBGYN. And within Sinai, um, we have this fabulous um, hospital out here in um, Jackson Heights slash Elmhurst, uh, Queens, which we happen to live in the, or it's not live in, but it serves the most diverse uh, community in apparently the United States. If you weren't aware, Elmhurst was also the epicenter of the epicenter of um, COVID. So definitely know a lot about COVID, having gotten COVID uh, that first week that it kind of hit um, Elmhurst. And um, yeah, I'm an OBGYN, been doing it um, as an attending for 14 years now. And next, I'd like to introduce uh, Ms. Lois Pivert-Dum. Brittany, actually, uh, Dr. Rogers-Henry, if you could speak to the maternal health inequities um, and give us some historical context, and then we'll introduce Lois. Thank you both. Sorry about that. All right. Um, so uh, maternal health inequities, definitely um, we know a lot about it. We know about the Tuskegee experiments and that definitely kind of comes up to play in terms of a lot of times when my patients are um, kind of deferring uh, vaccinations, uh, whether they're pregnant or also um, for GYN experiences. Uh, but we're going back to uh, 1619, um, which includes going all the way to 2022, 61% uh, of the time um, where slavery was in place, uh, 246 years ago. Uh, we in, when we look at it in totality, it's a total of 403 years, which you think that you know, we would have had time to make up for these um, just inequities in general life, but also maternal health. Um, we encounter racial, racial segregation and exclusion, which 
um, turns out to be 25% of the time or 99 years. Um, Civil Rights Act was not introduced until 1964. Um, and then just 14% of um, the time going back of the 403 years total, we have the Post-Civil Rights Act um, again, which occurred 58 years ago. Um, so unfortunately, 86% of the Black experience in the United States um, has been lived under racial oppression. And 100% um, of the Black experience has been navigating inequity and fighting for equality. Um, and I definitely see this with um, my uh, patient population on a daily basis. Um, so again, another thing that uh, definitely going on across the country, but definitely in New York State, as well as New York City, um, pregnancy-related death rates by race and ethnicity. Yes, yes, they, um, thank you. I, I just saw the, um, the, in the chat line. Um, so Black women have a, um, a pregnancy-related mortality rate um, that is 3% higher than that of white women. And unfortunately, we've heard from um, Serena Williams earlier this month when she did um, an op-ed piece. I can't recall which magazine it was in, um, but she's talking about her experiences. And even though she's Serena Williams, um, having to tell nurses and doctors that something was definitely going wrong um, in her postpartum course. Uh, so these inequities persist um, across all levels of education as well as socioeconomic uh, status and inequities in maternal mortality increase with maternal age um, as well. Um, yes, I, I hate to read this, but it's all very, very true. Um, many pregnancy-related deaths in um, pregnant people of color are due to cardiomyopathy, which could be underlying, just like I mentioned before with Serena Williams' pulmonary embolism. Um, hypertension is a major, major player in um, and uh, maternal health inequities, as well as postpartum hemorrhage. So um, black women um, are more likely to have the following uh, birth uh, risk factors, which include preterm birth, low birth weight, and unfortunately births um, in which they receive late or no prenatal care. Um, should I still continue with the infectious disease implications or? Yes, please. Uh, oh, we're still talking about pregnancy. Okay, so COVID-19. Um, pregnant, um, pregnant women are more likely to get severely ill with COVID-19 um, compared to non-pregnant women. It's extremely, extremely scary. Um, and they can decompensate very quickly, even if they're young and healthy. Um, pregnant women um, can also receive the COVID-19 vaccine. We know now we're going, we're two years into this, um, this epidemic and I can't tell you how much we stress, 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 um, getting the COVID-19 vaccine um, during pregnancy. Uh, and it can definitely serve uh, to protect you from severe illness with COVID-19. Because again, we've had patients who have been vaccinated and comparing them to the, you know, two years ago when we had no vaccination, the um, just the morbidities um, have definitely uh, decreased uh, with vaccination. So um, the boosters during pregnancy also very important. I try to keep we um, in our in our chart we keep track of whether or not a patient has been vaccinated and when they got their vaccinations, including the type of vaccinations that they received, um, and whether they're not whether or not they're booster eligible. Um, so you should receive a booster five months after the second shot of Pfizer and Moderna. Um, and you should also receive, um, if you did not get the Pfizer or the Moderna and you got the, um, the J&J slash Janssen uh, vaccination originally, you can get a booster two months after that. Um, okay, so flu, influenza also. This is what we used to be scared of before we even um, got introduced to COVID-19. Uh, very, very more likely to cause severe illness in pregnant women. Changes in the immune system, the heart, the lungs um, during pregnancy can make people um, more susceptible to the, um, the complications, the severe complications of flu. Um, fever from flu um, may also be associated with neural tube defects and other adverse outcomes for a developing baby. Therefore, um, flu vaccine also is the best protection um, against the flu. 
And we don't actually going that I saw at the end of that. We actually don't, at least in our facility at Elmhurst, we do not give the uh, the nasal spray anymore for the uh, for the flu vaccination. Everybody's getting whether they're an adult, a child, they're all getting the flu um, shot. So it's safe for pregnant women and their developing babies. A large body of evidence that supports the safety of the flu vaccine for pregnant women as well as their babies. Uh, there's definitely, I, I, this is one of the things I have to dispel when I'm uh, encouraging all of my pregnant women to get their flu, um, flu vaccine. Uh, there's no evidence that pregnant women who receive the flu shot have a higher risk of spontaneous abortion, which is also known as a miscarriage. And uh, the CDC, uh, which is the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, and the FDA, which is the US uh, Food and Drug Administration, excuse me, um, they're conducting ongoing safety monitoring of the vaccines. Thank you, Dr. Rogers Henry, for that. And now we'll move on to the vaccination part of the presentation. I'd like to introduce uh, Ms. Lois Preverdum. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. Okay. Thank you. Great, and it's it's great to be here. So um, my name is Lois Prepodom. I come from uh, Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, where I've been there for uh, since 2005. One of the things that we look at is we look at very closely vaccine inequities. And um, I'm currently running a project here in Baltimore where um, we're working in various communities and seeing some of the disparities firsthand, working with uh, community peer ambassadors that are talking to uh, the various communities in Baltimore. One of them is pregnant and lactating people. And um, we've learned quite a bit from that. So let's start with uh, some of the data that we've been seeing with vaccination. And the first thing is about um, COVID-19. And one of the things that you'll note, and uh, the slide has very small type here, but I'll, I'll talk through some of this, is that with COVID-19, you still see a lot of the same disparities that you see with flu. There is one exception though, and that is, um, so the, the Black population, the non-Hispanic Black population, which is if you look over to the chart on the um, on the left hand side, the red dotted line is the non Hispanic black population. So that um, typically is much lower of a vaccination rate than other uh, races and ethnicities. But what we see here is that also the white non Hispanic population also has very low rates of vaccination. So um, some of the disparities that we see with flu vaccine, which you'll see in the next slide, we're not seeing so much with COVID-19. We're seeing um, some of the white, uh, particularly those in the South, the Republican leaning um, people that are not getting vaccines at the same uh, rate. In this case, the American Indian, uh, Alaska Native, as well as Asian populations are the populations that are seeing the highest rates of vaccination. But the bottom line takeaway message here is that rates of COVID-19 are still too low. And that's something that we do need to, to follow up on and make sure that those disparity gaps are closing. And we have seen um, where those disparities begin to uh, narrow with a very concerted effort. So this particular one is about the entire population. So if we can go to the next slide, this is what I was referring to when I said earlier about the typical disparities that we often see with vaccination. And these are things that we don't want to see at all. So if you look at the red line at the top, that's your white um, non-Hispanic population. And then the green line at the bottom and the brown line just above it are showing some pretty wide disparities in the rate of vaccination. So although it's not um, quite the same situation as we're seeing with COVID-19, this really talks about the need to be able to educate and to be able to meet communities where they are. 
because there's a lot of distrust as, as we've talked about in the earlier presentation where um, we need to get past some of those concerns that we have and address the other concerns that people have besides vaccination. Next slide. So turning um, to pregnant people, and this is one of the areas where there's um, not a lot of data in the specific states, but CDC does um, gather data through various plans. And in this case, um, this comes from vaccine uh, safety data link uh, data, which are is a surveillance project that we see um, looking at rates of vaccination in various people. And um, what we see is the similar rates of disparity and probably even greater, where again, our green line right at the bottom is showing that for Black pregnant people, the rates of vaccination are very low. And we're talking about disparities of 20 points or more. So that's something that we really do need to work on because that's not something that you want to see with COVID-19. We do know that the vaccines are very safe. Um, we do know that there's a lot of education that is needed and a lot of meeting the needs to uh, help people trust in, in the vaccines and the health system. But um, this is really important to ensure the, the health of both the mother and the baby. Next slide, please. And then if you turn to uh, the other vaccines that are given to pregnant people, we have um, flu vaccines, Tdap vaccines and Tdap are tetanus diphtheria and acellular pertussis. And then the third column is both vaccines. And what you're seeing are very similar trends as um, we saw earlier with flu vaccines where the disparities exist. We also see that in younger people, so if you go up to the age group categories, that in younger people we're seeing um, lower rates of, of vaccination um, and that uh, there's a lot of things that we need to be thinking about. But the bottom line is that rates of vaccination overall in pregnant people are way too low. Next slide, please. And finally, there's um, a lot of other vaccines that are available in pregnancy. One of the things that's very important is to communicate which vaccines are appropriate, because if you're a pregnant person and you know, some of these vaccines you'll see you can get, some of these vaccines you'll see that um, you know, maybe you can get and some are not given. So generally the vaccines that are live vaccines are the vaccines that you would not give to a pregnant person. You wanna make sure that they're very safe, but there's a lot of information that's out there and it's up to all of, all of us to really think about which vaccines are um, needed to give to pregnant people and be very clear on which is uh, needed at a particular point in time. And I think that's the last one. Thank you, Lois. So now we will switch to um, discussing the doula and patient perspective portion of the presentation. Um, we'll, uh, I'd like to introduce, is it Felicia? I'm sorry. I, I don't know if it's my end, but I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Yes. Okay. Great. Yes, it's Falasha. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and and um, also uh, Samantha Griffin. So uh, Falasha, if you want to take a few minutes to note your experience about being a pregnant person and making the decision um, to get vaccinated while uh, being pregnant. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brittany. 
Um, hi, my name is Galasha Zuand. Uh, actually, if while we're, I'm speaking, if people in the participant list and in the chat, if anyone is a birthing person currently pregnant or has children, I'd love to know. So if you can let us know in the chat, I think it might be a poll question or later, but it would just help me in um, kind of my perspective on things. But a little bit about me, I am a public health expert, um, specifically in communications and public health. And I specify in cancer and cancer outreach, as well as maternal health and maternal health education specific to the black community. One thing that really motivated me in this journey, um, you know, going into motherhood changes you so much. But one thing from a public health lens that we spoke about is that when the disparities are so stark in a space, they stand out to you kind of even more. So going through this journey and also seeing the uh, maternal health statistics and the disparities and then facing them myself, um, kind of cast a new light on this. I'm currently pregnant with my third child and my fifth pregnancy um, due to these same disparities that I was unaware were affecting me, um, you know, having preterm labor and um, an preterm labor that resulted in a, my child um, not being able to live before viability um, and things to this nature. So I'm really happy to be here to talk to so many people and have this important discussion around vaccine and where the patient lies in this spectrum. I mean, I feel like we heard a lot about uh, some are okay and some are maybe and what the health system does. Um, but unfortunately, too many times in this space, the patient is um, carrying a certain burden to take care of our own health, which is important. But when it adds to the maternal health and birthing uh, perspective, you are no longer just carrying a single burden or a single uh, responsibility. Now there's an added stigma of you have the responsibility or even sometimes the guilt of making this decision for your unborn child and what that may result. So I think that's an important perspective to bring to the table um, and with that stigma and those disparities and the role they play, because we know it's not just a social economic issue when it affects people like Serena Williams and so many other more prominent people who have um, not necessarily access issues, but they're also dealing with these layers that exist specific to the maternal health space. So I'm glad to be here. I'll. Um, turn it over. I don't know if we were supposed to continue just talking, but I think we, uh, I would love to share the floor with the doula that's here today as well. Yes, thank you, Falasha. I'd like to introduce Samantha Griffin, who's a doula. Um, Samantha, please take a few minutes to um, note your experience as a doula and um, empowering pe pregnant people to be vaccinated. And again, transparency is welcome. Sure. Um, so it's great to be here. My name is Samantha Griffin. I have been a doula since 2013. Um, I'm working in the DC metro area and primarily serve Black women as the birthing people that are my clients. Um, first, you know, thank you, Falasha, for sharing your story. I think that your perspective is so important. And um, one of the things that I always feel in discussions like this, where we, you know, unfortunately to set context, need to talk about some very scary statistics for Black women. Um, and Black families, I think that um, we also do need to lift up, you know, what individuals actually experience, because statistics are population-wide, of course, as all of the public health professionals know, but on an individual level, that's really where doulas work. Um, I think a lot about equitable care, and I think a lot about how an individual Black family can navigate um, you know, the centuries of racism and the current statistics. And a thing that I come back to a lot when I'm having conversations with public health professionals or with providers is really thinking about informed consent and also health literacy. Because we're all talking in the context of, you know, having a certain amount of information, seeing these charts, having the time to sit on a webinar today and have them all explained to us. But when we think about what an actual doctor's visit is like, and this is the case for us, whether we're public health professionals or health advocates or just lay people, a doctor's visit is often 15 to 20 minutes. And throughout most of pregnancy, you're seeing your doctor once a month for 15 to 20 minutes if everything is healthy and normal, 
right? And we want things to be healthy and normal. We don't want appointments that need to take a long time. That's usually an indicator that there's some high risk factors that we're dealing with. Um, but I think that the challenge that that leaves providers, and of course, then the burden does fall on patients, is that there's not necessarily time to give um, all of the information that might be provided on a webinar like this about vaccination. There's not a lot of time to also build a rapport when our clients are working through lots of information. You know, they're often consulting Dr. Google before they're consulting um, a doula or um, even going to their OB or their midwife, whomever their provider is, they're wading through a lot of information. And I think that when so much of the information can cause a lot of fear, and then they've had the experience of being Black in America and living under oppression, it's really hard to know who to trust. And so if we're thinking about informed consent, that would be just simply telling your patients everything that is a benefit and a risk of a procedure, but if there's not trust built into that relationship, then it's really hard, I think, for uh, birthing people to navigate, okay, do I trust this doctor? Are they pushing something towards me um, because it's of benefit to them and not to me? You know, we've already referred to on the presentation the Tuskegee experiments. I think it's also important when we're thinking about maternal health to put the context of um, American gynecology having been founded based on experiments upon enslaved African women. And we can't ignore all of that because then patients are having to navigate that without it necessarily being acknowledged. I should say though, if you know any of my doula clients ask me, I feel very comfortable that vaccination is a great option. It really does reduce um, a lot of risk factors, especially as we're living in this pandemic. I think the difference that um, can happen in a conversation as their doula is that our appointments are an hour long. We're talking over phone, over text, over email. It's a more ongoing relationship. And one of the things that I really wish could be built into the healthcare system when we're talking about maternal health and reproductive health is more of that give and take between providers and patients. Because I think that that really would build in a lot of trust uh, that is lacking in a lot of these conversations about vaccines that unfortunately, due to no fault of the providers, have to be squeezed in to already very full appointments. Go ahead, Flash. Yeah. Samantha, I would definitely um, echo that. I think uh, from my perspective, I bring an interesting perspective in that I am now living in Switzerland. And in Switzerland, you must give birth with a midwife in the room, not a doctor. Um, it's not mandatory by law that a doctor is present or an MD, but a midwife must be, but they have a different training than midwifery or doulas in the US. It's a different training level. It's similar to, I would say, maybe a, um, a physician assistant um, with further medical specialty within midwifery. But um, because I'm high risk, the doctors are also always present on hand and standing there as well as a neonatal specialist in case the baby needs um, any assistance at birth. Um, especially if I go into preterm labor again, like I did with my daughter. Um, but what's really interesting in this system is that we are speaking around what are the parameters, but if less the system is built with the resources and tools for the advocacy and for the next step to be taken, there's not much that the patient can do if your, 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 your concerns are falling on death's ear. Or if you feel as though this is going to be an unnecessary step and I think there's a lot of burden when it comes to being the birthing person in the room, because now you're not managing only your health, you're managing your child's health. There's a lot of questions. And um, as we spoke to earlier, these are not things that you grow up learning. This is not part of our health process in the U.S. school system, or I don't believe many school systems, right? And if this is a condition, you don't know until you're actually experiencing it. Most conditions that you grow up with, maybe asthma or other health issues you're going to learn about earlier in life. 
there are some obviously that will surprise you, but even now cancer is getting to the point where you may know you have a genetic mutation or you may be in a high risk category. A lot of maternal health issues, you don't know until you're actually in that office and it's in front of you and you're making the decision at that time, which also brings that extra burden. Then there's the social aspects, right? Motherhood has a communication factor around it that is around either having a picture perfect family and the social media, or it's also what does that communication look like? Before I became a birthing person and having children, I never saw black moms being portrayed in going to get a flu shot while they're pregnant or in the pregnancy photos or even in the birth control ads growing up. Remember the one with the um, dancing women and all of this, they weren't black women. They weren't um, Latino women. They weren't brown women. They weren't women with English as a second language. Um, it was a lot of portrayal of white women. So when you don't see yourself occupying some of these spaces, it does add a different bias and stigma, not only in the patient, but in the space that you're now occupying. And then lastly, I would say the tools and resources being so important to that experience. Like they give you maybe a pamphlet, but I think, um, you know, doulas do a great job and midwives do an amazing job of making sure that there's this reassurance and kind of checklist for their patients. And a lot of providers in different spaces do as well. Um, but I think there's still some disconnect. Um, and that's why I will be, I have created a birth to um Bump to Birth and Beyond book. It's a bullet journal that helps you track those first two years. What is your chest feeding regimen? How do you um, keep a list of your appointments? Because pregnancy brain is real. You can forget an appointment and now your provider's thinking you're not taking your, your next appointment seriously. You're high risk. You've missed an appointment. It's hard to get booked again. Their time is precious. So this resource is really to provide a way where you can track so many aspects that you're supposed to take seriously, but you can miss your child's newborn appointments. You can miss all of those things. Are you going through something that should be flagged as PPD? Or is there something that you should be um, concerned about, about your partner or spouse because of their moods? But how do you track that? So I feel like a digital bullet journal, like I said, is a good resource and tool to help you track those first two years of vital information that can be overwhelming and overloading. Thank you for that. I just wanted to go back to the chat. Um, there's some good information being shared, as well as um, you know some personal experiences um, as well. So uh, Dr. Rogers Henry said that the whooping cough vaccine is usually given at the beginning of the third trimester around uh, 28 weeks, but then also the flu vaccine can be given at any time during the pre pregnancy, usually during the flu season. Um, Dr. Rogers, Henry, did you want to um, expand on any of what you noted in the chat? Um, yes, I definitely saw quite a few things um, in terms of I love the fact that everybody is sharing their, um, their own personal journeys with pregnancy. Um, the one thing that kind of hit me was the, the fact that, again, we talk about um, it has nothing necessarily to do with, um, with race, but also socioeconomic status. So um, uh, Nakia Bolden uh, mentioned that she's a public health professional who just had a baby seven weeks ago. And here we are, it's you know coming to the end of April. And we're talking again about vaccines. And it's such like, for me, one of the things that I do for at least for all of my patients is I everything is electronic medical records, which is fantastic. Um, and we have a little place that has a reminder to um, see, you know, what the patient has received in terms of vaccines. But again, I do have those patients who are apprehensive about getting a flu vaccine or apprehensive about the COVID vaccine or even Tdap. And, you know, one of the things that I always um, try to um, point out is that what we're giving ourselves, we're actually giving our babies as well, because we're creating antibodies um, with those vaccines that we receive. And we're passing those amazing, fantastic um, antibodies to our growing um, fetus, uh, which again, those babies wouldn't necessarily be able to be vaccinated against Tdap immediately after they're born. Uh, and you can't control who has Tdap as well. I mean, granted, we all wear masks, but when our family members are around, they might not be uh, vaccinated against um, whooping cough. 
and they come and they hold your baby and, you know, everybody, we have our, you know, our sanitary stuff, we have our, our gel and our hand sanitizer now, but I mean, that's, it's always not the case. And again, I can't begin to stress the importance of at every visit if a patient hasn't been vaccinated, just bringing up the question or um, even the patient bringing up the question, okay, what about my vaccines? And, you know, I'm worried about this particular vaccine. Um, you know, what can you tell me about it? Um, instead of kind of falling to the to the to the background, and there was a couple of other things, but I, again, I don't want to uh, monopolize the time. But I, I like the fact that people are bringing up preeclampsia. Um, people are bringing up the fact that you know it may not be their first child; it's their their fifth or sixth child, and people still have questions. Every pregnancy is different. Thank you, Dr. Rogers Harry. So we'll go ahead and transition to the microsite feedback that Kristen had mentioned at the beginning of the presentation. I will um, share my screen. I just need to move things around a little bit. <laughs> Okay, can you all see that? Yes. All right, thank you. Okay, so we will do a few poll questions um, as we go through the uh, microsite. So who, um, should it, should it come up now, Kristen? Yeah, we'll keep, we can go through the site so that people can okay. have a frame of reference and okay. then we'll do our poll questions and the Jamboard. Thank you, Brittany. That makes sense, thank you. So this is our microsite, which is, um, you know, a, a summary of a few different topics relating to maternal health. So we have, you know, just the topics at the top. So maternal health inequities, maternal health and vaccines, doula and patient perspective, and uh, maternal health policy. Um, so then in each, you know, section, it gives a bit more information. We went over um, this slide at the beginning of our presentation. Um, and then, you know, some historical context the problem, um, again, some data with racial and ethnic disparities and pregnancy-related deaths, um, which is uh, broken down by educational level, uh, disparities across the nation, as well as disparities by age. Um, again, birth risk and outcomes, drivers of different, uh, drivers of inequities. Um, then we talk about social and economic factors that drive health outcomes. So uh, we're talking about so economic uh, stability, the physical and uh, neighborhood environment, education, food, um, community and social context, um, as well as the healthcare system. There are some resources such as books, organizations, and articles. Um, and then, you know, going to the maternal health and vaccines. We talked about a few in our presentation, specifically, uh, you know, COVID-19, the flu, uh, Tdap, um, and, and if you can get it before or during the pregnancy, like Dr. Rogers Henry had mentioned. Um, then the flu vaccine. So, uh, and, and some statistics and information that are specific to the flu. Um, and then more information about the uh, COVID-19 vaccine and boosters. And then again, more resources related to maternal health and vaccination. Um, and then, um, 
maternal health um, and perspective from a, a pregnant person and a doula, which we will have videos of um, personal stories up on the micro site. Um, and then more information about the doula and um, personal experience from a pregnant person. And then also the um, policy implications for maternal health. So at this time we will um, do some poll questions about to get microsite feedback from you all. Um, Thank you, Brittany. If you could stop sharing your screen and then I'll share the okay. board to take notes. Please feel free to be as transparent as possible. You've already started giving us valuable resources and things that we need to really think about as we refine this draft, this first draft of our microsite. Um, so I'll be in the background taking notes. So please, please continue to give us all of that honest feedback. We definitely appreciate the transparency. Um, so the poll should be um, on your screen now. So who would you share the microsite with? And if you're unable to, um, if you're unable to answer the poll questions, please feel free to um, use the chat to provide um, your feedback. Are we able to share the? Um, oh. Okay, are we able to share the um, microsite in the chat? There's some requests for that. We could definitely share it after we get through with edits. Um, we wanna make sure we can definitely put the videos up for this recording and also our uh, doula and birthing person perspective. So we have all of your email addresses and we will share it with you once we get those drafts ready. And we can go ahead and share that first um, poll question. Um, thank you. So it looks like about 82% of people would share uh, the microsite with colleagues, 56% would share with their family or friends, 49% would share with patients, and then 45% um, would share on um, any social media platform. Okay, let's go ahead and launch the second question for the poll. So uh, the next question that comes up should be, is there any, is there vital information missing from the outline that should be certainly be included on the microsite? So this will be an open-ended question. Um, and this is where you can add all responses to the chat. Okay, so we have not sure if this is uh, possible or even a good idea, but for those of us who typically, typically don't work um, in the realm of pregnant population, perhaps a terminology section 
for example, defining birth in persons or other terms that we should be using. Thank you, Maria. That's a that's a good um, a good point. Um, Rita said there wasn't an uh, any reference to age within the groups. So um, there was a, a graph about disparities um, by age. Uh, were you looking for something different, Rita, if you want to clarify that in the chat? Betty mentioned um, preconception counseling is missing. Um, and Lois said, uh, we'll be good to add something on the value of vaccines, as well as Q&A on safety. We have um, infertility rates. And then one more here is emphasizing the information on safety for babies in utero may be reassuring. Thank you all for your feedback. So we will go ahead and move on to, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, one more um, suggestion. I saw a, a section for doulas, and I understand that certain states are now including doulas in their reimbursement infrastructure. It would be great to include a list of which states. Uh, yes, there there is a section for social determinants of health during pregnancy. It was um, in the in the inequities portion. So I'll go ahead and um, move on to question three. What challenges from vaccine preventable diseases like COVID-19, flu, pneumonia, shingles, hepatitis exist for pregnant and birthing people? Um, and feel free to, uh, or please answer, answer in the chat. And I can just read the question for you all again. What challenges from vaccine preventable diseases exist for pregnant and birthing people? Okay, I don't see anything coming through for question three. Um, for question, oh, um, so I have not all clinics keep vaccines on hand. Referrals are often made to pharmacies. And then the expectation to do the right thing, regardless of individual health conditions, concerns, the social stigma that was noted by Falasha. Um, I think that this is a, a, you know, one to note, social media is wrong or false, so um, inaccurate um, information, social media being wrong or false uh, information being distributed. So same thing, hesitancy, misinformation, um, the perceived choice between isolating to avoid COVID risk and family or cultural uh, celebrations has been tough. Uh, 
access to care and access to particular vaccinations. Um, so not just access to care, access to quality health care. And just for the interest of time, I want to make sure that we ask um, all the questions that we have. Um, in light of the decrease in mass mandates across the U.S., what are some risk mitigation strategies that we can employ to assist in reducing severe risk, especially for pregnant and birthing people? So we have vaccination and ventilation. Also masking um, and hand hygiene. Social distancing. Avoiding crowded situations, regardless of what the community levels are um, of COVID in their communities. Don't touch them or their babies without consent. and information on specific steps they can take to protect them and their baby. All right, and then we'll go ahead and um, move on to the uh, last question. So what are your recommendations for ensuring a culturally responsive microsite that is also linguistically appropriate and lay friendly? defining terms and acronyms, and providing captions for graphs. Holding focus groups of various age levels, age levels um, and education levels to ensure readability and comprehension. Um, so um, there is a question, where, will there be a um, chat section for people to come and share their stories and offer um, each other support? We can definitely add it. <laughs> I'd love to add that. Yeah. Thank you for that suggestion. So it, it looks like a lot of, um, you know, health literacy, making sure that they're, um, you know, it, it's readable. Uh, a simple flyer that people could hand out. Um, and then we got a suggestion about incorporating a model that speaks to social determinants of health, um, also defining each component for awareness. So, so there is a, um, a, a social determinants of health section um, in there that, that breaks down um, economic stability, um, neighborhood and physical environment, education, food, community and social context, and the healthcare system. 
um, with the health outcomes being mortality, morbidity, life expectancy, healthcare expenditures, health status, and um, functional limitations. And then we got another open spaces, open spaces for asking and talking to pregnant moms. So it sounds like the the um, uh, discussion board. I, I'm thinking in uh, grad school, but <laughs> the discussion board piece or something discussion board esque at the bottom of the microsite would be um, helpful. And I know that we're right at time. Um, that was our last question. So uh, I'd like to thank everyone for your uh, feedback. It is very helpful for us to you know, make sure that we are doing our part in addressing um, you know, the maternal health crisis. So I will hand it back over to Kristen. Thank you so much, Brittany, and thank you to our esteemed panelists, Dr. Carla Rogers-Henry, Samantha, Falasha, Lois Priverdum. Thank you so much for joining us and offering all of your valuable insights. Thank you to all of the participants. We will be distributing this microsite. We, will, we do have plans to develop flyers and social media graphics that are much simpler and have bite-sized pieces of information. So thank you so much um, for joining us and have a wonderful weekend, everyone.